You doing okay this morning? Who's enjoying the cold weather? <laughs> I actually do like it, as long as it doesn't get too terribly cold. But anyway, we are going to jump back into our study of the gospel according to Mark uh, this morning. I don't know how familiar you are with this gospel. I would imagine, and I probably have already said this before, that is there anybody here who would say that Mark is my favorite gospel? <laughs> and you see, this is one of the reasons why I decided to preach on this, because I think it's, it's probably it's, it's, it's somewhat abbreviated compared to the others, and uh, you know, and that, and that sort of thing. But one of the reasons I chose this is because I figured it probably was the gospel that most of us are probably the least familiar with. So anyway, we are in chapter 1. And we're going to pick up at verse 21 and read through 28 or 20, 28, I guess. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him and they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. We talked last week, I think, about how often you see the term euthus, which is translated as immediately in this particular gospel. Not present so much in the others, but very much emphasized. Immediately Jesus did that, and immediately Jesus did this, and immediately Jesus went here, there, yonder. You just see it over and over again. Here in this passage we just read two times. Two times we see that word, immediately. And you wonder why Mark, Mark put it in here like, it, like he did. And, you know, we can't say for certain. We can't read it's mine. But what I would say, it really kind of conveys to us this expediency of the ministry of Jesus. That there was a lot to do. And so Jesus, for three years, was about doing it. Well, his whole lifetime, but more specifically for those three years. Immediately. Moving from, you know, going here and doing what the Father had, had called him to do. And immediately going there and doing what the Father had called him to do. And immediately going there and doing what God the Father called him to do. They went into Capernaum. Immediately, on the Sabbath, and he entered the synagogue and began to teach. Now, we know something of synagogues, and we know that they are places of teaching. It's where the Jewish people gather. There's still synagogues today that, that, that are bound in Judaism. 
It's a place of teaching and worship. But they didn't always have the synagogues. Now, originally, the place of worship and, and, and etc. was the temple. But after the destruction of the temple, then the synagogue became more and more prevalent and important. Developed, really, we're not even sure where. There's no direction in Scripture that tells them to develop this sort of thing, but they did it during the intertestamental period, it seems. When there was no temple. But they would gather, the Jews would gather to worship, and at the same time, it was a place of instruction and learning. Synagogue appears very frequently in the Gospels and Acts. On this particular occasion, as we said before, the synagogue was a place of worship, but it was also a place of instruction. And, and on this particular occasion, when Jesus entered the synagogue, it doesn't seem so much to be uh, a visit for uh, worshiping as it is for teaching. But rather than teach something that, the, that normally that maybe the rabbis would teach, he astonished and amazed them with his teaching, for he was teaching them as one having authority and not as the scribes who were the experts in the law. There are various titles ascribed to Jesus in the Gospels. Emmanuel, which means God with us, the Lamb of God that you find John using over and over again, the King of the Jews and Matthew, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and others. One of the sources I read this week made this statement, and I'm assuming that they're right, and it, and it is this, and it is 90 times in the Gospels, 90 times in the Gospels, Jesus is addressed as rabbi, which simply means teacher. If I were to ask people, if I went out on the street and just began to ask people, why did Jesus come into the world? What do you think most people would say? I would imagine 90-something percent of them would say that Jesus came to save us from our sins. But Jesus came to save us from our sins, but he also came for other things, and one of those was just plain, flat teaching to teach us that we would know and as we know that we would grow. Check this out. Jesus is referred to as Savior only three times in all the Gospels totally. Two times in Acts. And 19 times in the epistles. 
However, in the four Gospels, Jesus is referred to as teacher 57 times. 57 times. The most common title that was ascribed and used in regard to Jesus. Does that surprise you? It did me. When I started thinking about this early in the week. Jesus has many things to us, but one of the most emphasized aspects of his ministry to us is teaching. Learning. Which he principally does today by the scriptures and the Holy Spirit. But he's still teaching you and I today. Right now, he's teaching us. Martin Luther said of the Bible, he said, the Bible is alive, it speaks to me, it has feet, it runs after me, it has hands, it lays hold of me. In other words, the scriptures are unique. They're, they're unlike anything else that have ever been written. When you read the Bible you know that God is talking to you. At least I hope you do. Because that is exactly what is happening. God speaking in a personal way directly to you. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, We thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what, is real, what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you. That applies every much to you and I, just as much to you and I, that when we are reading and studying the Bible, God is teaching us. Jesus Christ is teaching us. The Holy Spirit is teaching us. God's, work is many, God's word is many things, but one of those is this, is it is transformational. It has the power, the, the authority of God to transform people. It's always working in conjunction with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who takes the word of God and enlightens us to its truth. Let me just warn you this, if, if, you, if you wish to stay, if you are a little baby in Christ, then let your Bible sit on the shelf and collect dust. 
if that's what you want to be. <laughs> but I'm assuming and hoping that no one falls in that category. We are to be students of the Word. Why? Because the Word is the Word of Christ. And it's transformational. It bears the power and the authority of God who gave it. Nothing else does. It's funny how some, uh, some people may deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, but the unclean spirits knew precisely who he is. And they saw him as their enemy and the one who had power and authority over them, even the power to destroy them. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And guess what? He did. He did. Not without convulsing the person first. But that evil spirit came out as Jesus commanded it to. What was the result? The result was that the people were amazed when they saw something like this happen. Now they began to question among themselves, saying, what is this new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. In other words, we've never seen anything like this in our entire lifetime. We've never heard anybody like this in our entire lifetime. There's evil in the world and there's evil in us. We've all done some pretty evil things in our lifetime. Prayerfully, most of those took place before we became believers. Prayerfully, there really is a very great distinct difference between the way I was before I was a believer and the way I am since I became a believer. as long as sin is part of our, of our picture, evil is also there. But we know what the solution to it is. We know, know the one who is going to be, be victorious over that evil, and that's Jesus. I doubt if anybody in this room has ever been inhabited by an evil spirit. An unclean spirit. Maybe, maybe so. I don't know. Maybe somebody is right now. I don't know. But there's still besetting sin in all of us. 
And we are called to be in the business of actively putting it to death. For us to do that, it means some serious inward looking. I hate evil, and I know you do too, but you know what I, the evil I hate the most is the evil I see in me. <laughs> and I hope I'm not by myself. Hallelujah. Anybody else? <laughs> How many times as you're going through your life do you, do you find yourself in a position where you're going, I did it again. I did it all over again. That thing which I, last time I did it, I, I made a promise, I swore that I would never do that again. And look what I've done. I've done it all over again. You see, the only confidence that we have is that Christ is at work in us through his Holy Spirit, and he, in fact, is putting sin to death. And it may not be apparent to us. And I would imagine this is true, that most of us probably look upon ourselves in a little different light than other people do. And what I'm saying here is that probably there are some people that see some things in you that you don't see in yourself. Maybe sometimes it's sin, but maybe sometimes it's the opposite. Maybe it's the good. Maybe it's the presence of God that's apparent to other people that maybe in you that's maybe not so apparent to yourself. Because you see the ugliness that's still inside. And other people don't so much. All right, so we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You see, the putting to death of this sin is a joint effort. It's not something we can do on our own. It's not something that the Holy Spirit does on his own either. It's the two working together with a common goal. The phenomenal things that are going on with the ministry of Jesus, as this point is described in the Gospel of Mark, are ever-growing. The ever-growing ministry of Jesus begins to spread like a raging fire. We have a lot of advantages today as far as communication goes. We still, people still write letters, postcards, things like that. 
we have the ability to get, or get around a lot easier. We can go from here, there, or yonder just about any time we want to and communicate with the people that we wouldn't be able to otherwise. We have these cell phones, one of the greatest blessings of our time, but also one of the worst curses, too. Now, could you sit here this morning? Can you imagine what it would be like to give up your cell phone and go back to doing things the way you, we used to? Sometimes you wonder how we got anything done. I mean, they really are so convenient, and you know, you know you can communicate with just about anybody almost instantly, no matter where they are on this planet. This is what I'm always thinking about when I talk with people long distance, is this, is, is I'm speaking the words, and they are hearing those words instantaneously on the other end of the phone, and they may be 2,000 miles away. How does that happen? There's no lag time. I tell you what, they really have, the, you know, the whole cell phone system has really enhanced our ability to do mission work. It's a very valuable tool that missionaries use a lot in the most remote places in the world. My whole point is things were not that way in the days Jesus was walking on the earth, people wrote letters, yes, but most of the communication took place when people spoke to other people personally. Immediately the news about him went out everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee in every direction. How? Because people were talking about Jesus. People were talking about what Jesus was doing. People were talking about what Jesus was saying. The Greek word that's translated to hear or to receive news... occurs very frequently in the Gospels. It occurs in this little Gospel of Luke 40 times. Probably the most common verb in this whole book. 55 times in Matthew, 40 times in Mark, 60 times in Luke, 87 or 83 times in Acts. People hearing. But for people to hear also requires for people to speak. Speaking and hearing go hand in hand. When we're talking about conversations, I know we can hear all kinds of noises, but the conversations always involve two people, unless you're talking to yourself, which I do on occasion, but... I'm sure you do too, so I don't feel too bad about it. But speaking and hearing are two of the most common verbs used in all of the Gospels and Acts. 
And in almost every case, it has to do with someone relating, sharing the gospel with someone else. I mean, what is the whole book of Acts about? It's about the spreading of the word by speaking and writing. As the early church took root, it began to grow like gangbusters. All as a result of people speaking and others hearing. Cell phones are great. The nice thing about it is this, is we can talk directly to missionaries we know in Africa and missionaries we know in other places, just like that. Not so many years ago, it would take months for a letter to get from here to wherever it's going. Maybe even a year. Immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James, John, and John. Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a fever and immediately the they told him about her, and she came, and he came and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. There's that word immediately again. Immediately. Jesus had the power to heal people with every kind of physical ailment. No medicine, no surgeries, just by speaking or touching sometimes. Modern medicine can heal us from all kinds of inflictions, afflictions. Some very, very serious life-threatening conditions sometimes. I mean, we really do live in a phenomenal time. We, you know, the average lifespan in the last hundred years has almost doubled in the United States. And we understand that it's largely because of advancements into modern medicine. People are living to be older and older. It used to be very unusual for someone to hit 100 or 90, and now it's getting pretty doggone common for people to at least live to be 90. That Jesus didn't use medicine. He didn't use hospitals. He didn't use surgeries. He just did it. Whammo, bammo, shazammo. One way then, sick or whatever, you're healed.
I mean, we all know what it's like to have a high fever. I would imagine everybody in this room has had a high fever at least one time in their lifetime. When I was younger, I used to struggle with bronchitis all the time. I actually had it maybe once or twice since Lori and I got married, but it used to be like something that I got every single winter. And there was one winter when I got so sick from bronchitis that I missed like three or four weeks of school. And it would have been longer than that because the, the, the Christmas vacation fell in the middle of it. That's how sick I was. My mother had to take me to my pediatrician every single day for, for two or three weeks so he could give me this massive dose of penicillin. Unfortunately, by injection. Remember that big old glass? <laughs> Hypodermics. <laughs> but I was really, really sick. It, was, it wasn't just the cough. It was this fever that just would not go away. But Jesus instantaneously takes away the fever of Peter's mother. It's just gone. It was there and it's just gone. And she didn't lay around the house for the next week recuperating. She was immediately, see that word immediately here again, immediately she got up and she started serving the meal. It's as if she had never even been ill. No side effects, no leftovers. be nice to experience something like that just once Jesus was always about his father's business and on this particular occasion that part of that business was healing Peter's mother For a number of reasons. She needed to be healed. But also her healing needed to be witnessed by other people. Family and dinner guests. For the benefit of all those people there. But also for guess who's else's benefit. For Janine's benefit, for Keith's benefit, for Joan's benefit. That you and I would be studying this story 2,000 years later. That the event would be recorded in Scripture. Again, it would be so nice if just one single time we could zoom back to where he was or he could enter into our world in bodily form. That we could be eyewitnesses to something like this just once. Wouldn't it make it a lot easier to believe? Well, you've heard me say this before and 
Maybe you're getting tired of hearing it. That you yourself are a very great bonafide miracle of Jesus. In other words, if you want to see a miracle, you don't have to look any further than yourself. Because you were dead in your trespasses. And he sent forth his spirit to you, to enter into you, to change you, to cause you to be born again. That you would, be, you would have ears to hear and eyes to see the truth. Because sometimes we do look around and we say, gosh, it really would be nice if Jesus was here and we saw him do this and that and the other with our own eyes and we, we heard him speak with our own ears. It, it really would make things a lot easier. But remember this, our spirit was diseased with a deadly illness that was killing us. But Jesus sent forth the Holy Spirit. Our Father and Son sent forth the Holy Spirit to give life to that which was otherwise dead to God. Me. We were spiritually dead as a doornail. But he didn't leave us there, just like he didn't leave Peter's mom there in her illness. He lifted us up out of it. He sent his Holy Spirit to change us and inhabit us. To give life, to give real life, blessed life to those who haven't earned it, who don't deserve it. But yet he has granted it to them people like us you want to see a miracle look at yourself <laughs>